The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Okay. Here I am. I have to be really honest, I'm incredibly excited that I get to wear this mic right here. I've always seen Ben and Brad wear it, and it looks super cool, and it is really cool. And so, thanks for making my dreams come true. Uh, and now, I'll never be able to go back to that lame mic you have to hold in your hand and use, so uh, thanks for that. My name is Mitt Vikraman. I work for the Springs and with the youth here. Uh, speaking of youth, I have an incredibly exciting news. We have gotten to know the Bokesh family since last year, and we've grown to love them dearly. And today, Ashlyn Bokesh has decided to get baptized. So, great stuff. We are super happy for you and really excited. Uh, her baptism will take place after service at Northside's uh, baptistry after the art service is over. So please do plan to stay back and join us in celebrating Ashlyn's decision. A small warning, I tend to speak fast, especially when I'm nervous or excited, and I'm both right now. And so if I start speaking really fast, feel free to slow me down, give me some subtle like, hey, and I'll slow down. So today is week two of Missions Month. Last week we had Kelsey speak to us, and this week I'll be talking to you about rescue. And uh, since it's week two, that also means that we have not heard from Ben or Brad for two weeks now. And I know you guys are probably missing your preachers, and so I tried to dress like Brett today to ease your longing for him. <laughs> Got the tie, the shirt, the jacket. Uh, I was planning to go for a more Ben look, but Maya said shaving my head is a little too extreme for a sermon. So it's Brett today. Uh, but truly, I think we are incredibly blessed to have two amazing preachers who bless us week in, week out. I'm reminded of how difficult preaching is as I prepared this but they do it so well every week, and for that we thank you for blessing us. I'm grateful for this opportunity to speak to you. Uh, I don't preach much, but when I do, I'm really thankful for that. Let's begin with prayer. Oh Lord, our God, we come before you ready to listen. Father, speak through me today, God. May not my nervousness or anxiety get in the way of a message today. Grant me the gift of preaching. May not my words be spoken here, but yours. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 91, verses 14 and 15, it says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer. And I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver and honor him. That is the team verse, team passage from Missions Month this year. I've come a long way to be here, and I don't mean that in terms of uh, travel distance or travel time, although that is true as well, but what I mean is a lot has happened in my life that has brought me right here where I am. I mean, we are different people. I grew in Malaysia, I grew up in Malaysia, I'm from Malaysia, we live very far apart. The chances of our lives crossing paths, it's probably pretty slim. But. Uh, and I did my degree in chemical engineering in Singapore, yet uh, here I am working with the youth in the Spring Church of Christ in Edmond, Oklahoma. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'd like to share with you my journey that has led me here. It's hard to condense 26 years of my life into a 20-25 minute sermon, but I'd like to highlight some events that happened 
that has led me right here. The reason I want to share this with you is because when I look back at my life so far, I see how the hope that the gospel provides has rescued me time and time again. In sharing my story, I hope you see the rescuing power that the hope that the gospel brings. As many of you know, I'm from Malaysia, a beautiful country in Southeast Asia. I was born into a really beautiful family. Not perfect, but beautiful nonetheless. I have an older brother and a younger brother, uh, and we were, we were a pretty close-knit family. We loved each other, and we knew we were loved by each other. But when it came to religion, it was a little bit more complicated. You see, my mom was a Christian. Her parents converted into Christianity, and so she grew up in a Christian home. But my dad was a Hindu, just like everyone else in his family. And so I kind of grew up with both these religions. I went to church, I went to temple. I couldn't quite pick one because it felt like picking one would mean I'm choosing one parent over the other. And of course, no child can do that. And so I did both. It was a little weird, but that was kind of what I did. And so you can see that God and faith did not have a big influence on me, especially during my early age growing up. But I was a pretty shy kid growing up. I was definitely my mama's boy. Uh, I was one of those kids who would start crying the moment he'd lose sight of his mother. And my cousins will remind me till today that I was so difficult, they really hated me, because all I did was cry. <laughs> and it was pretty bad. To give you an example, uh, when my mom goes to take a shower, I would stand outside the bathroom door crying until she comes out. And so I was a little difficult, right? But I grew out of it, uh, but I grew up to be a shy, reserved, and quiet kid. But I was pretty smart. At the age of nine, uh, I did really well in school. The teachers decided to bump me two grades up the next school year. And so there I was, shy, awkward, quiet, and also really skinny. Growing up, I was super skinny, scrawny, uh, almost sickly, really. And so there I was, skinny, shy, awkward, and new. And that is not a good combination to go to school uh, with people who are older than you and people you don't know. So when I was 10 years old, I started getting bullied in school every day. I was hit every day, made fun of, and embarrassed a lot in front of everyone, and many other horrible things. And I hated it so much, but I didn't know how to stop it. I mean, I begged, I cried, I tried running away, but nothing really worked. But what hurt the most among all of that is no one really stood up for me. No one really came to protect me or came there to defend me. Most people either just saw it and ignored it or joined in and had a few laughs at my expense. And I remember as a child wondering if tomorrow will ever be any different, hoping tomorrow the bullying will stop. But it never did. And that continued to go on for about two more years. But despite all that, I still did good in school. And another thing I excelled in was in field hockey. Uh, field hockey is not a big sport here. It's not lacrosse, it's not ice hockey, it's field hockey. Uh, but it is a big sport in Asia and Europe and many other parts of the country. And I loved the sport and I excelled in it. It was my avenue to release and vent out all my anger and frustrations. And at the age of 11, I was called up to be part of the Malaysian Project Squad. And that was a team that was consisted of 25 players around the age of 12 who were to be groomed to be uh, future national players. Uh, and there, at the age of 11, I first had a taste of what racial discrimination was. So before the British colonized Malaysia, uh, there was only one race, the Malays. But then the British came and they brought people from India to work in the rubber estates and also to help with the administration of the country because the British was in India first and so the Indians knew how the British ran countries. 
and they brought the Chinese from China to help the tin mines. And this happened over 100 years ago. But until today, although the Indians and, uh, Indians and Chinese make up about 30% of the country's population, we are still not given equal opportunities and often discriminated. Malaysia is my home. I was born there, lived all my life there. But even in my own home, I was treated as a foreigner and wasn't quite welcome. And that hurt quite a bit. At the age of 11, I was the only Indian uh, ethnic player who was in the national team. And I remember every coach in the team wanted me out. They would not let me play, they would not let me train, they would often discourage me, and they always asked me to just give up and quit. Uh, the only reason I was not kicked out was because I was actually pretty good at the sport, but the more important reason was the head coach was from Germany. And this continued till I was 16 and was about to get my first cap playing for the country. The moment I've worked so hard for and I've devoted so many hours into this and I finally got it. Uh, but a few weeks before the tournament, uh, I found out that my name was scratched off the official team sheet to be replaced by the name of the son of the assistant coach. And that is just one of many instances. Uh, I was never given the opportunity I deserved because of my skin color. Even in education, when I was 16, I sat for an exam called the SPM, which is something like the SATs here. And I did pretty good. I did really well that I was awarded the best student in the state. But I was offered no scholarships, no place in any university, uh, and nothing. And I remember feeling so defeated. No matter how hard I fought, no matter how hard I tried, I always lost. I remember wishing that tomorrow would be different. I remember wishing that tomorrow discrimination will be done with and everyone will be given equal opportunities in life. But tomorrow came and nothing changed. I was filled with anger. The world was so cruel and so unfair. Although I grew up attending church, I never quite knew Jesus until I was 16. And when I got to know Jesus, I fell in love with him. And I decided that I'm all in because he showed me a world where love reigned victorious. He showed me a world where people are loved and treated not because of how they deserved it, but just because, because love. And he taught me to choose love instead of anger and bitterness. And I decided to follow him and I was all in. At this point, life was going pretty well. Uh, I enrolled in a private institution and I eventually got offered admission into the chemical engineering program at the National University of Singapore which at that point was the third best university in the world for chemical engineering. So I thought I made it. I've worked hard and I've defeated against all odds I've came across and I felt like I've overcame. But then something else happened. As I said earlier, my family was a huge part of my life, especially my mother who never gave up on me and always believed in me and loved me. You see, my mother was everything to me. My family was my rock. And so the thing that happened next crushed me. In 2009, my mother was diagnosed with stage 3 primary peritoneal cancer. A month later, my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer. So that was ready to face the world, ready to make it, and hearing this news and not knowing what to do with it, not knowing how to deal with the fact that both my parents have cancer and might not make it. The next three years of my life, as you can imagine, was horrific. Right? I traveled back home frequently to be with parents, I missed many classes and deadlines. Even when I was in class, there was no way I could concentrate. And I remember at that point, I've had some heartache. I knew what pain was, I knew what suffering was. But until today, the most excruciating pain I've experienced was the pain of watching my loved ones die slowly and not being able to do anything about it. And I wished every night that tomorrow cancer would just cease to exist, that my parents would be healed tomorrow. 
but life doesn't quite pan out the way you want it to. At the end of three years, my dad recovered and has been cancer-free since. But on the 28th of March, 2012, my mother passed away in her sleep after battling cancer for three years. My mother, my best friend, my source of comfort and love on earth was no more. But unfortunately, that was not all. In the same year, my family lost seven other close family members. The space of 12 months, I lost my mother, both my grandparents, an aunt, three uncles, and a cousin. It's sad that I have to look at a list to remember who else died. To say that it was a bad year would be an understatement. We had funerals almost every month, and I remember the, the cascade makers and the coroners refused to take money from our family because they would say it's wrong to make this much profit from one family's misery. And it affected all of us, really, especially the death of my mother. It changed my family. The joy we experienced, the, the laughter we shared disappeared. We couldn't quite feel happy the same way anymore. There was a big, deep hole in all of us, and we didn't know what to do with it or how to fill it. My dad obviously lost a huge part of his life and struggled with loneliness. My older brother, who was a doctor, blamed himself for not being able to save my mother. My younger brother, who was pretty young when all this was going on, he had no idea how to process this or deal with it. He was battled depression and was suicidal. And I had no idea how to function, I had no idea how to find a new normal or if normal would ever be able to be achieved again. So what does all that have to do with hope and rescue and missions month? Like Kelsey said last week, true hope never ignores our reality. True hope does not neglect the pain and suffering that is present in this world. Having hope does not mean that everything's going to work out the way we want and everything's going to be great. My story that I have shared with you is one example of how real pain and suffering is in our lives. It is real in my life, just as it is in your life, in the life of everyone else. But hope is not dead. The hope that the gospel provides has the power to rescue. And I know that because here I am standing here, standing in front of you with all my scars and struggle, yet here I am in a community that loves me and embraces me and accepts me for the person I am, regardless of the difference of my appearance or culture or anything like that. Hope is life because of Jesus Christ, and He is very much alive today in the body of Christ, that is the church. I'm here today standing where I am today because I've seen how this person Jesus taught the world to love. I've seen how the body of Christ surrounded my family and loved my family like nothing else during our times of desperate need. I've seen how the body of Christ hurt when another part of the body hurts, and that gave me hope. I'm here today because Jesus Christ promised me hope, and the church rose up to the occasion. I'm standing here, and I see Faith and Kendon here, and sorry to put you on the spot, but Faith is from Singapore, and her family was one of the families who just embraced me and accepted me throughout all this. They loved me like one of their own. Uh, they cared for me deeply, and they were a huge source of comfort and peace in my life during those two years, and even now. And uh, I remember when my mom passed away, I was in Singapore, and minutes after I got the phone call, her parents were in my dorm, helping me pack and comforting me and being there for me and driving me to wherever I had to be. It is Christians like that. It is Christians like you guys who drive away the darkness of the world by radiating the love of Christ. And that is hope. I'm one example of one person who lived in hopelessness and was rescued by, this, by the hope that the gospel provides. The hope that tomorrow can get better. And just like me, there are many others out there who need that reminder, who need that reminder to carry out, 
to carry through the day or to wake up tomorrow morning. Many in here and many out there. But church, there is a day coming. A day is coming when the powers of evil will be completely defeated. And from that day on, there will no longer be death. The day is coming when cancer is no more. All abuses, discriminations of all sorts will end. Poverty, starvation, suffering, pain will cease. A day is coming when evil will be defeated for good and the reign of God, the kingdom of God will reign supreme. But until that day comes, let us persevere in the hope that Christ is coming. And may we partner with God to patch up the brokenness of this world one day at a time, one act, one act of love at a time. And as we pray, Lord Jesus, come and end all suffering until he returns. Let us be Christ in this world. If Jesus doesn't come tomorrow, let us be Jesus. Let us be his followers. We may not be able to take away all pain and suffering, but we can make someone's tomorrow a better day. Let us be good news for those who are living hopeless. May we feed the hungry. May we stand up for what is right. May we mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. The world is in pain. And God's children everywhere is crying out for that hope. I hope that tomorrow will be better. Just like me, there are many who need to know that there is something better coming, that tomorrow can get better. As Christians, as followers of Christ, that is our mission. To be carriers of that good news and to be that good news. To be the one who makes someone's tomorrow a better day. German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, in his book, Theology of Hope, says, that is why faith Wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest, but unrest. But, it, but is itself this unquiet heart in man, not patience, but impatience. It does not calm the unquiet heart, but is itself this unquiet heart in man. Those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but begin to suffer under it, to contradict it. Peace with God means conflict with the world, for the goal of the promised future steps inexorably into the flesh of every unfulfilled present. Let me conclude by saying this. The mission to spread hope and rescue is an urgent mission. It's not something we do in our spare time. It's not something we do when we feel like it. It's not something we do when we have resource. It is every day. It is a lifestyle. It is how we are. It is who we are as the people of God. When Jesus, uh, like Ben preached two weeks ago, the call to follow Jesus comes with a call to go. There is way too much suffering in this world for Christians to turn a deaf ear. The longer we ignore the cries of the broken, the longer they will suffer without hope. We need to be the gospel, to be Jesus to everyone, everywhere. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples, it was an imperative. When he told his disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, there's an obvious connection between following Jesus and being fishers of men. So if you're a Christian, if you want to be following Christ, he expects you to be fishing. I talked a lot about suffering and pain and brokenness in the world, but God is truly doing something magnificent in this world. And we see this through Jamie Balls and the work she does in Rwanda, helping ladies come out of a dark place and live an honorable living and a better life. We see this through the Whitmars serving in the inner city community of OKC. We see God working through the Brazils in Belgium, the Dorokaisis in Germany, and all the other fellow missionaries that we have. We see God working goodness to Rod, to Ben, to Brett, to Kelly, to all of you here. We are all part of God's mission of reconciling this broken world back to Him. God's mission is on the road. God is changing the world through the body of Christ. And He extends an invitation to us to join Him in this exciting mission. 
A mission that's built upon radical love. Love like you've never seen before. Love like the world does not recognize. But He calls us to live a life like that. God is working goodness in the world through the church and, the, for, the, and for the sake of people like me, for the sake of those who are currently suffering, for the sake of the hopeless, let us accept this invitation. For those of you who are hurt, those of you who feel like giving up, if you feel like the world is just too difficult, know that you are never alone. Though, I'll leave you with the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians. It says, Let us not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you stand as we sing. Thank you.